It's remarkable how quickly things change. At the end of chapter 4, there is a picture of harmony, dedication, courage, and determination to see the task completed. You remember how they had come under all sorts of threats. They had been threatened with physical violence, and yet they carried on with the work. A wonderful picture of a united, harmonious body of people. But how quickly the scene changes. Now, we don't know the length of time between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. But it could not have been many days because the building was completed or the, the wall building was completed very quickly. Chapter 5 begins with such a serious division among the people that the work on the walls is brought to a standstill. This is a very serious chapter in the middle of what up to now has been good news, at least as far as the people of Israel were concerned. The people within the walls were cooperating, they were working together, they were looking after one another, and now suddenly we get this great outpouring of anger and distress. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, no, against their Jewish brothers. So here there was a tremendous disturbance and outcry. So what's it, what's it all about? The first thing that we notice is division and disunity. Division and disunity. And verse 1 brings into view one of the saddest things that can happen within a body of God's people. They had coped with derision. They had coped with mockery. They had coped with threats. They had coped with everything. They had been prepared to take up arms to defend themselves against attack, and they still continued to build. In spite of all these external pressures, they continued to build. But the moment that there was division and disunity, you notice the work stopped. The external pressure couldn't stop the work. The threats of violence couldn't stop the work. But disunity within the congregation, within the group, stopped the work. There's a lesson for us here.
How is the work of God going to progress here? It will progress here as long as there is unity amongst those members of the congregation. When there is disunity, the work stops. Now, there were problems for the builders, and we want to have a look at those problems. And the first problem that they came up against was financial. And it seems that there were a number of financial difficulties facing the people. Now, isn't it true that so often money is a cause of dispute and disagreement within the church family? Mostly because there's not enough work to finish what has been started. Now, that's not the case here. For the materials for the rebuilding had been granted and provided by the king of Persia. The problem arose now because of the economic difficulties faced by the builders themselves. And these problems were caused in several ways. First of all, the people had failed to count the cost. The people had willingly and enthusiastically embraced the vision of Nehemiah when he came to them and told them, let's build the walls. They were all for it. And perhaps some of them had not really counted the cost. There had to be a balance between the work done on the walls and the ordinary provision that they were to make for their families. And just as an aside, we always need to remember that, that the primary responsibility and the most basic responsibility that God gives to believers is to care for their own family. We must never forget that. We must never forget that our basic responsibility is to provide for the family. So there would have been some who had failed to count the cost and now they found themselves in economic difficulties. But there was a more pressing problem and the more pressing problem was famine. This verse tells us, or this chapter tells us, that there had been a famine in the land. And so there was not enough food for the people. Look at what they say in chapter 5. He says, uh, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. <clears throat> and they also talked about the, uh, the, the famine uh, in the next verse. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. It was so expensive to get food that people were mortgaging their own property. They were mortgaging their fields, they were mortgaging their homes, and they didn't have enough to eat. So this was a serious problem. But there was another problem. 
And the problem was taxation. There was the problem of the king's tax. Now, these, these taxes were quite legitimate. They were quite fair. But they were still a hardship. Now, the problem was for many of these people that some had taken out loans in order to be able to provide for their family. And when they defaulted on those loans, then they had to give up their children to be servants or slaves. So the problems that Nehemiah was facing here were extremely serious. But not only were there the financial difficulties with the famine and with the taxation, but there was also extortion being carried out. What made the situation even worse was that the wealthier members of the Jewish community were causing difficulties for the builders. Now, it was not illegal for people to lend money. It wasn't even illegal for people to sell themselves or family members into slavery. You see that in Leviticus, uh, in Deuteronomy 15, Leviticus 25, and Exodus 22. But James Philip points this out. The point of all the Levitical leg legislation was to stress the compassion of God and to promote compassionate dealings one with another. And it seems that what was happening here in Jerusalem was that some people were strictly applying the law, the letter of the law, without giving any consideration whatsoever to the spirit of the law and with no concern for all that the work of God that was being hindered and disrupted by their greed. And you see, this highlights something very important. It's very sad when the work of God becomes disrupted by any kind of situation, whether that's financial or whatever. Now, for Nehemiah, if this problem or these problems could not be sorted out, then the work would stop. That would be it. His enemies would not have to do anything. All the enemies had to do was to sit back and watch the people destroy themselves. But you see, there's a problem here. And the basic problem was not extortion. The basic problem was not famine. The basic problem was not greed. The basic problem was a problem of the heart. And the root problem of anything that disrupts and prevents the work of God is the heart. You see, if the heart is right, if the heart is right with God, and the advancement of the kingdom of God 
is the first consideration. See, if, if these wealthy Jews had thought the most important thing is to get these walls built, then they would not have exerted the kind of pressure on their fellow Jews that they were doing. But it is evident that their hearts were not right with God because the work of God had a lower priority in their own lives. Seek ye first, said Jesus, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. If the heart is right with God, what does God say? Love the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Because if you love God, then you will love your neighbor. If God has first place in your heart and life, then the thing that you want above everything else is to see the work of God prosper. And that was Nehemiah's problem. There were real problems for the people, no doubt about it. But the basic, essential problem, and Nehemiah deals with this a little bit later, the basic problem was a problem of the heart. The heart was not right with God. The second thing we see here is wise and courageous leadership. From chapter 5, verse 6 through to 13. And when Nehemiah realized what was happening and how it was affecting the work, his initial reaction was one of great anger. He was angry because of the action of those who were seeking to make money out of the financial difficulties of their brethren. Something that was clearly against the law of God, Exodus 22 and verse 25. He was also angry because their outcry demonstrated a lack of unity amongst the people. This group was complaining against this group. The poor people were complaining against the rich. And so there was a lack of unity. And unity of purpose was one of the most important things in this enormous work of wall building. Nehemiah knew that it would never be completed if the people were at odds with one another. And this is true not only in the time of Nehemiah, but in any work that is undertaken for God. If there is bickering, distrust, if there is dislike between members of the fellowship, these issues need to be sorted out if the work is to progress. There is nothing, and take note of this, there is nothing that pleases the devil more than seeing division, disunity, and complaining amongst those who are seeking to do the work of God. Because if he sees that, 
He doesn't need to do anything else. We see, though, that Nehemiah's anger was very quickly turned to a more profitable direction. He did not act in anger and so make a rash or a foolish decision. Look at the words of verse 7. I took counsel with myself. I took counsel with myself. That's simply a way of saying, I thought deeply about it. Now, from what we know of Nehemiah, we can be certain that Nehemiah took the matter to God in prayer. That seemed to be his reaction to every other situation that he faced. So having thought deeply about it, he wanted to make sure that what he did would not make the situation worse. You see, there was a real danger here. There was a danger that if he made the wrong decision, it could exacerbate the situation and prove fatal to the work. After all, remember, the walls had lain in that disrepair for almost a hundred years. So if they stopped, would it ever begin again? You see, Nehemiah was facing a real crisis. And Nehemiah knew that if he stood on principle, and the word of God was quite clear, that the Jew could not, uh, could not exact interest from a fellow Jew. The law was quite clear. Nehemiah knew that. The people knew that. But if Nehemiah stood on principle, he could alienate some of the most powerful and wealthy people in the community. Because it was the rich, it was the wealthy, it was the important who were exacting usury from the people. If Nehemiah confronted them, if he stood up to them, if he pointed out the law of God to them, then it was quite possible that these people might have, might have joined Sanballat and his cronies in opposing the work. And there must have been a real temptation for Nehemiah to compromise. Compromise is so often seen, isn't it? Even in church circles. How often do members in a church, perhaps even the hierarchy of churches, take decisions not because they are in accordance with the word of God, but because they will please people, because they fear of offending someone. And Nehemiah was a man, and so there must have been a real temptation for him to compromise rather than to stand up for what was right. But the example we have of Nehemiah is that he was a man who stood for what was right. He stood for what was true. 
He was not prepared to compromise and he would not sacrifice principle for the sake of expediency, no matter what the cost might be. And the question comes to us, are we men and women like that? Are we men and women who will stand up for principle rather than compromise, no matter what the cost might be? The cost for Nehemiah could have been the cessation of the work. All his work undone. But he doesn't. And when Nehemiah took, had carefully considered the situation, he took the very bold and courageous step of confronting the nobles and the rulers. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, and so on. It's clear that Nehemiah was not afraid to speak the truth and to rebuke even the most important people in the land. You see, for Nehemiah, the work of God, the name of God, the glory of God, was more important than anything else, more important than his own reputation, more important than his standing in the face of the nobles, more important than anything. And so Nehemiah was prepared to confront these nobles. He was willing to deal with the situation head on. He rebuked the nobles for their practice of exacting money from their fellow Jews and he reminded them of the history of the people. He noted that when Judah was conquered, many Jews were sold as slaves to foreigners and many of them had been bought out of slavery by their fellow Jews. And now he says, here you are, bringing your fellow Jews into captivity for profit. And he said, this should not be. And having pointed out their sin, Nehemiah then challenges them about the priorities that they had in their lives. And you see, that is the central lesson of this chapter. The central message of this chapter can be put in a question. What is your priority in life? What is your priority? What is the chief objective of your life? See, for Nehemiah, he had a message from God, he had a work to do from God, and he was going to do it no matter what. No matter how he suffered, no matter how he upset people, no matter anything. He challenges them and he cites his own godly example 
of lending grain and money without interest. Verse 10. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. See, Nehemiah was a man who practiced what he preached. He did what he said. What he asked others to do, he did himself. And the main reason for the way that Nehemiah did, uh, the, the way that Nehemiah behaved himself, and for what he urged upon the other people was this. He said, should you not walk in the fear of our God? Should you not walk in the fear of our God? We sang in Psalm 15 of the characteristics of the godly man or woman. Should you not walk in the fear of your God? Nehemiah feared God and longed to do the work that God had told him to do and he would sacrifice anything to see it completed. God has given you a task. God has given you the task of living a life that shines a light into a dark community. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's a task that God has given to you. Are you like Nehemiah? He had the task to do and he would do it. He would sacrifice anything to see it completed. But there's another thing here. Nehemiah was also concerned that the conduct of the Jewish leaders would cause the name of God to be blasphemed amongst the people. And that was a big issue for Nehemiah. What are people going to say, not about you, not about me, but what are people going to say about God if they see this kind of behavior? And that was a very serious consideration for Nehemiah. And it ought to be for us. Does our behavior, do our words, do our attitudes sometimes cause the name of Christ to be blasphemed? Would the way that you live, would the way that you speak attract other people to Christ? Or would they say about us, as I've heard so often, people saying, if that's what a Christian is like, I want nothing to do with it. If that's the way a Christian does business, I want nothing to do with it. You see, that was Nehemiah's concern, that the name of God would be blasphemed amongst the people.
But Nehemiah also urged the nobles to make things right. He didn't just want them to feel bad about what they'd done. He wanted them to make restitution. It was important for them, as it is for us, that the teaching of the word should result in action being taken. There's no good sitting listening to a sermon and nodding our heads and saying, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's very good. I ought to do that. And then leave the building and do nothing about it. Nehemiah urged the nobles to put into practice what they had promised to do. Finally and briefly, a prompt response. The words of Nehemiah had an immediate effect on the nobles and the rulers of the people. They agreed that they would do everything that Nehemiah had said. And such a response demonstrated two very clear and necessary attitudes for every child of God. Look at what they said. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing of them. We will do as you say. And the first necessary attitude for us is a teachable spirit. It may be that when the nobles were exacting usury from their fellow Jews, it may be that they thought they were doing nothing wrong. After all, charging interest was not against the law. But they clearly had not considered how what they were doing was affecting the work of rebuilding. And they hadn't considered that perhaps what they were doing would cause the name of God to be blasphemed. And it is so often the same with us. We do not think sufficiently about how our own selfish attitudes affect the cause of Christ. When the nobles heard what Nehemiah had to say, they listened and accepted the teaching and put it into action, thus demonstrating a correct hearing of the word of God. Read the parable of the sower. The word was sown and there were four different reactions to it. The only one acceptable was that the seed falling into good ground and producing fruit. Is that how you hear the word of God? Is that how the word of God comes to you? It takes root within your heart and life and it's put into action. A teachable spirit. And then lastly... A humble spirit. Remember, the people that Nehemiah rebuked were the leaders. They were the wealthy. They were the people in positions of authority, not used to being spoken to like that. 
but they had a humble spirit. It's one thing to listen to and approve of the teaching of God's word. It's another thing entirely to change our behavior in line with it. Especially when it affects our finances. Now the people who were going to lose by this were the wealthy people. They would lose a considerable amount of money. But they were willing to submit. They had a teachable and a humble spirit. Nehemiah also knew that words were easy to say and so he insisted that their promise to comply should be supported by an oath sworn in the presence of the priests in verse 12. He solemnly warned them of the consequences of not fulfilling their sworn oath. And with this I finish. Ecclesiastes 5 and 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. We've all taken vows. Do we fulfill and pay those vows? It is no small thing to make a solemn promise before the Lord. Amen.